Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Joe Lonergan, Eric Henry here with you. Excited to dive into uh, signing day from Conference USA and recap some of the, the key signings within the league and uh, to talk about which of these prospects have us excited the most uh, for their college careers that are ahead of them. Uh, Eric, how are you doing today, bud? Man, I am doing all right. Coming off a of signing day, certainly an exciting time for us here as people who co- who cover college football, and you know, certainly an exciting time for all the kids getting ready to sign uh, to embark on the next journey of their career. So that's always an exciting time, and plenty of news and notes for us to get into here in across conference USA. Before we do that, on the last episode that we put out, we were talking about Buffalo Wild Wings and. A recent experience that I had there with uh, a lovely old man crushing strawberry daiquiris. But you sent me this tweet the other day that seems like it warrants further discussion. The original tweet was from Christina Jensen, who is a uh, journalist in West Monroe, Louisiana at KTVE. Uh, And the tweet reads, breaking news, West Monroe PD investigating threat between Outback Steakhouse and Buffalo Wild Wings. We've accrued the scene and we'll bring you the latest details on air and online. So we never got confirmation as to what the resolution of this situation is. And frankly, I can't tell if it's real or fake, which I guess welcome to news media in 2022. Um, But Eric, who would win in that fight? Buffalo Wild Wings, Outback Steakhouse, or would there be a third competitor that would just come in and cause chaos? So just to hopefully, again, we don't want to state anything in the affirmative. I just, uh, uh, as we're doing this, we're taping this, I look at K-N-O-E. That is uh, the affiliate in in Monroe as well, I believe. I think it's the CBS affiliate. I'm not sure um, what uh, outlet Christina's with. But uh, we got an update here at 410 on uh, I think this is uh, the 28th of January, I believe, that said that the Monroe bomb squad determined that the device was safe to remove from the area. Uh, ATF took over. So apparently there was some sort of a uh, threat. Uh, I, I don't know if this was a threat that, you know, was leveled between <laughs> uh, outlets, between, you know, restaurants. But I, I will say this. What jumped out to me when I sent you the story about, you know, something zany to open the podcast with. I don't know. Have you ever had this discussion? Like, are you you're a big Waffle House guy, right? Of course. Okay. All right. Just have to make that clear. Um, as someone who loves to freaking Waffle House, like I am a, you know, a clean eater otherwise, but my go-to when it is, you know, you're leaving, it doesn't matter if you're leaving the bar, leaving the club, or you just want a really damn good breakfast. Like Waffle House is a great breakfast. But with that being said, anyone who's been to Waffle House between the hours of 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. knows those employees ride or die 
or Waffle House in a way that no other establishment can touch. I have seen Joe personally in Orlando. Uh, it was <laughs> it, it, it's uh, for anyone who's familiar with Central Florida, Orlando is the west side of Orlando. So that's, you know, uh, the side away from UCF, uh, closer to downtown. And I saw a uh, one of the cooks, the line cooks come off the line and break up a fight between two women who were fighting over a dude who apparently had a whole separate girl at the spot. And these two, one was like, I guess we had one who thought it was a girlfriend. One was a baby mama. And then a whole, like a third girl who was there and they got in a fight. I saw a line cook jump out and break up that fight. And I think the other craziest thing I think I saw, I don't think I saw, I know I've seen, uh, I was covering the, uh, the Camellia Bowl, FIU, um, when they made Camellia Bowl in, in 2019. And uh, this was in a, a Montgomery. Uh, a gentleman was upset about how long his, his order was taking, Joe. And you will learn very quickly. The Waffle House dudes got hands. Do not attempt to fight the dude working at Waffle House overnight because they got hands. I don't care if they're black, white, old, young. They got hands. Like they, I feel like working at Waffle House is requirements like, yo, can you fight? Because it, it especially if you work the overnight shift, if you can't fight, this might not be the life for you. You might need to go to, I don't know, like Bob Evans or, or IHOP. <laughs> the fights are less intense at Bob Evans, that is for sure. <laughs> Man, I need to come visit you and like see, see some of this stuff at the Orlando Waffle House uh, <laughs> firsthand, man, because that is top-rate entertainment. I mean, first of all, if you are getting over a fight over a uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other at a Waffle House, he or she probably isn't worth it. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> Second, if you are upset about how long your food is taking at Waffle House – for those that don't know, Waffle House gets your food out extremely quickly. So yeah. if like, I mean, that's that's how you know, like, whatever you're on, you had too much of it. If you're like, what's what's taking my food so long? It's been 10 seconds. Like, <laughs> that's that that's some Central Florida. <laughs> yes, that's, that's some Lee County, Florida type stuff for you, too. <laughs> that's Florida uh, in general, frankly. man, up and down this yeah, state. Fair enough, man. I, I just imagine this went down like the battle of the news teams in that scene in Anchorman, right? Where like, <laughs> so they just showed up with just random weapons. One has like a samurai sword. Like it, if anybody's bringing a samurai sword to the battle of the restaurants, it's actually probably a Waffle House employee. Just pull that thing right out of the car, man, right out the trunk. Deontay, where'd you get a hand grenade? I don't know. <laughs> Before we get into a 10 minute conversation about that, uh, let's talk about some COSA football and the way we're going to split this up is one episode is going to be the East and one episode is going to be the West just for the sake of time. Uh, Cause otherwise we are going to be here for several hours and we both have jobs. Uh, but to start with, let's talk about Western Kentucky, uh, the East division champs from last year, uh, number six class in conference USA for 2022, according to two, four, seven, about 25 total signees in this class. And we talked a lot about uh, a few of the, critical pieces here who are the transfer guys on the last episode. So I'm not going to dive too much into Jarrett Dagey, Michael Matheson, Vinny Murphy, all going to be key pieces for them in 2022. What is particularly intriguing for me, Eric, as someone who's seen this program, you know, develop over the course of the last, you know, however many years, I'm very high on the idea of 
a few of these guys being critical pieces in 2023 and beyond, particularly Caden Velkamp, man. I watched a lot of this kid's film over the last couple of weeks. Uh, quarterback at a South Warren High School in Bowling Green. Uh, he's 6'5", 215, I believe. I think if he has the chance to put on you know, some more weight when he gets to campus and gets on that like you know d1 athlete type of weight game plan i he's gonna remind me of josh Allen a little bit like he has that build um insane deep ball and i i love the idea of just the the hometown kid eventually being you know the star of this team whether that's in two years or three years depending on the the type of log jam that western has a quarterback right now i just i I don't want another kavaris thomas situation on on their hands but I like the idea of Caden Belkamp, you know, rising to the occasion in a couple of years. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll just say this, you know, and, you know, the Kavars Thomas situation is interesting, right? Because that seems to be a situation of, you know, uh, changing in staffs and whatnot, because Kavars Thomas was certainly a talented guy, just didn't work out. But um, in terms of the quarterback situation, right, I think it's just, Joe, low-key, Western Kentucky becoming a bit of a quarterback haven, right? You talk about Belkamp, you still have Chance McDonald, the kid from Washington who played in an air raid offense out of high school and, you know, was very prolific. So I think, as you mentioned, it's just a matter of at this level, you can never have too many good quarterbacks, right? Because, you know, Joe, if you look at the way that college football is trending right now, you're just going to have a quarterback who's going to hit the portal. I mean, each year you're going to have one or two guys who's going to come in from the portal or they're going to leave. So you can never have, you know, I would say venture to say, Joe, you want to bring in a guy every year, um, each class you want to come in and, and, and have whether it's a guy out of high school or, or, or a transfer portal person because you're going to lose uh, a player to position. So that's interesting. Now, two names that jumped out to me. I'm definitely curious your thoughts on this. Uh, this kid, Evan Wiberly, he is from Fort Mitchell, Kentucky. I had, I've had a chance to follow him a little bit, Joe, because he was someone who was recruited by multiple CUSA schools, including FIU. Um, when the, uh, you know, the situation happened, when it was apparent that Butch Davis wasn't going to be retained. Uh, you know, of course, the FIU was fighting an uphill battle as is with him being, again, a, a Kentucky native. But um, that's when his recruitment kind of shifted more towards Western Kentucky. And they got him signed 6'5", 270, especially when you lose Mason Brooks. Interesting that uh, they brought in not only Wiberly, but uh, I believe a few other um, tackles in their in their signing class. And last but not least, Joe, when you lose a, a punter of uh, John Haggerty's level, Tom Eller, this guy from Australia. Um, the, the, for those who may not know, uh, there's a program out there called Pro Kick Australia, which is essentially 95% of your your Aussie punters and kickers who have come to the States have come from this program, right? And they specialize in training specialists. FIU just signed one, uh, Jordan Doling as well. So, I mean, you know, multiple players from that program, uh, that Pro Kick program coming over to Conference USA. But that's just another situation that I think would be interesting to keep an eye on because you lose a punter certain the, the, the level of... John Haggerty the third, so to have someone who can come in immediately uh, and maybe fill that role and step in, you know, Aussie punter is known for having booming legs, so that's uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. But yeah, I I think your point about the the quarterback situation is one that's interesting. Um, like I said, can't have too many you know good players at that position. Uh, I think Veltkamp is actually rated a little bit higher than McDonald was coming out of high school, so it'd be interesting. And as you mentioned, six five two fifteen, stepping into college at that size, that's that's big time. For sure. With, with Chance McDonald, you know, I think the fact that he has the benefit of already playing in an air raid system in high school definitely helps. But I just I don't know enough 
about how he can adjust to the college game yet because we barely saw him so uh, this year, which, you know, obviously we were letting Bailey Zappi break NCAA records. But, yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. I think once we get to 2023, I, I think there's going to be a legitimate battle between McDonald and Belkamp. So something to keep an eye on there. You mentioned Evan Wibberley. Um, yeah, big guy. <laughs> um, you know, it seems like that part of Kentucky always produces uh, a few guy, a few critical uh, recruits that usually end up staying home. I don't, you know, I think that says something about just the development of high school coaches in the state of Kentucky and how well connected they are. Um, a lot of these guys end up staying home, but it's interesting with offensive line because of how long that position really takes to develop. It's not rare unless you just get a guy who's just a physical specimen to really like be the impact player on an offensive line right away. So I think it's going to, you know, it's going to be a minute before we see Wiberly really get some meaningful minutes, but certainly reason to be excited there. And Tom Ellard, look, pro kick Australia's track record in terms of uh, turning out college and, and NFL kickers within the last decade is very strong. So, I mean, I don't have too much to add on him, but I see no reason to not be optimistic about his coming college career here. With that, let's move on to the Marshall Thundering Herd. Uh, finished second in CUSA East last year. Number one recruiting class in CUSA this year. So, uh, Charles Huff certainly off to a good start in that aspect of his role as the third, uh, <laughs> as the Herd's head coach. Eric, I mean, I think the high school recruit out of this class that everybody's talking about has kind of dominated the conversation in terms of the future of Marshall football. I mean, it's got to be Cole Pennington, uh, quarterback at a Lexington, Kentucky, of course, the son of uh, a former Marshall great and former NFL guy, Chad Pennington. Uh, it was a three-star quarterback out of the Sayers School in Lexington, number 13 recruit in the state of Kentucky, um, 6'2", 196, not bad measurements, and really Played pretty well. And anytime you have a legacy guy like that, the expectations are going to be high. And hopefully by the time he hits that sophomore year, who, you know, who knows, we might see him have to step into that role sooner rather than later. Yeah, Joe, I'm going to come back to Cole Pennington in a second. Do not want to, you know, by any means bury the point of a legacy kid, someone who, you know, probably this is probably his dream, right? To go to follow up in his father's footsteps. But I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out a, a buddy of mine, Andrew Ivins from 247 Sports. He wrote a really good feature on Charles Huff in terms of him having the key to South Florida. And anyone who who knows Charles Huff's pedigree and his resume knows that he's was known even from his time at Alabama as being one of the best recruiters in all of college football. And in specificity, he was a guy who, if if you spent any time down here around high school, you know, prep area, you saw Charles Huff well before his time at Marshall. Joe, the reason I say that is. And I'm asking you this here before I kind of opine. Do you remember when we had Coach Huff on last year? Of course, we'll, we'll definitely follow up and have him on this year and talk about that profile in this class. But we had him on last year and we asked him how crucial recruiting Florida would be given the herd's you know propensity history for recruiting Florida. Correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but he kind of – maybe he's playing a little bit coy with us, but he kind of said that, yeah, he's looking to prioritize that area within what? You know, like that two, three, four-hour radius within within Marshall. That's that's what you remember, correct? How could I forget that conversation with the lovely <laughs> Coach Huff? Um, but, yeah, I do remember that specific part of the conversation where he said he wanted to build Marshall's core of talent with kids from West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Maryland, that kind of area. Okay, so not to say that Coach Huff 
hasn't done that because he has recruits from Ohio, from Virginia, from Pennsylvania. But Joe, he's got seven kids. And even if you want to count Peter Zamora, who uh, transferred from here in South Florida over to Westside High School in Anderson, South Carolina. So he's another Florida kid as well. Call it eight. Eight in this class from Florida and not just from, you know, Joe, you can you can go to Florida and get talent. But he's getting kids, Anthony Dunn Jr. from Sanford Seminole. That's a premier multiple state championship uh, winning team. Uh, you know, uh, Al, Al, Alstony, I, I, that's what I knew I was going to struggle with. Alstony McGee from Chipley. That's an area in North Florida. A lot of good talent up there. Um, you go through Maurice Jones from Killian, a running back. Killian's a good program. Elijah Russell from Trinity Catholic. So he's walking into Florida. And getting kids, and this goes back to his reputation as being one of the best recruiters in this state, uh, kids who come from premier programs. So that really jumped out to me. When you get, you know, 20-something kids overall in this class signed, but eight total from Florida, that really jumped out to me. And then, of course, as you mentioned, with bringing back around to where you started in Cole Pennington, to be able to sign him, that's awesome. And you definitely think he's going to play a factor in Maybe similar to Western Kentucky, how they have, you know, Henry Columbia, he can come in and be the guy um, in the immediate future and then see if Pennington can develop. But Joe, they signed three three-star quarterbacks. Chase Harrison's actually the highest rated one from Dayton, you know, Centerville High School in Dayton, Ohio. So uh, you got him. And then, as I mentioned, Peter Zamora, the three-star quarterback. Uh, Zamora's a kid, another guy who, again, I've had a chance to see for a while being here in Florida. Um, it'll be interesting to see. He reminds me, ironically, a lot of Henry Columbia. So it'll be interesting to see um, how his development comes. But overall, Joe, just really impressed with how Coach Huff not only managed to hit the area that he said he wanted to, which was that radius around uh, uh, Marshall, but also getting all these kids from from Florida is just really impressive in my mind. Yeah, and credit to Coach Huff for knowing where <laughs> the the talent is. And I mean, I think as a college head coach, You'd be remiss if you didn't, you know, exhaust all your resources in the state of Florida if you wanted to build a competitive roster. And it's a solid point about Chase Harrison as well. Um, I think he went, yeah, Centerville, uh, Centerville High School in Dayton. There, uh, great program, uh, by the way, for anybody that knows kind of the the Midwest. Uh, beautiful football facility, uh, and they've been very competitive uh, over the last like three decades, really. But yeah, he was the 965th recruit in the nation. And that, that kind of shows you, you know, what they're dealing with there. So would not surprise me at all. Just knowing a, the kind of uh, players that Centerville churns out and uh, just based on his, you know, his, the reviews of him and where he's ranked in the the grand scheme of things when it comes to recruiting would not surprise me at all. If he uh, made a legitimate run at the starting job, but yeah, we'll see. Also obviously can't, Count out Cole Pennington, as we said. With that, let's talk about Old Dominion, number seven class in the conference, according to 247. Eric, there are a few different names in here that intrigue me, but in terms of the names that signed on this past signing day for Ricky Ronnie, the one that that sticks out to me is Jude Buchanan. He's a 6'2", 223 linebacker. Played at Blair Academy in New Jersey. First team All-State twice uh, in that regard. However, was born and raised in Vancouver, British Columbia. 
So anytime we get the international prospects, I'm all about it, um, especially at the quote unquote non-skill positions. I think that's, you know, that's great. But li- listen, played in six games this past season, Jude Buchanan did, had 72 tackles, six for loss and six sacks. And then also rushed for 300 yards and recorded 480 total yards with five touchdowns as I believe as a running back. So getting a pure athlete here, you know, you can expect, uh, you know, you, we can expect to see why, uh, you know, he made the decision to, you know, immigrate to the U S come, you know, all the way across the continent to, to show what he can do on the football field. No, definitely love those stories. Right. I mean, especially in the high school ranks, Joe, I mean, you're seeing a lot more of, I, I think kids coming over from, you know, different countries and just being more acclimated to football, right? Like this is a story you typically hear with basketball. I mean, you know, the area that I'm at right here, you have IMG Academy, of course, certainly a football factory, but definitely basketball as well. You have Mount Verde Academy and others. And, you know, they're used to producing kids who come from other countries and, you know, athletically, they just jump in like, oh, we have a, a nationally renowned basketball team. Come here and then we can probably send you to the NBA in a few years. Right. So uh, nice to see, you know, that kind of coming around in terms of the high school football ranks. The I'm going to give you a couple names that jumped out to me. I mean, I am going to start with, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to start with ODU's highest rated recruit. And that's uh, Peter Kikwata. Uh, Kikwaka is a kid from Germantown, Maryland and when you're able to get in my mind at ODU, someone who's a high three-star, low four-star receiver, especially where ODU was last year in the receiving game. And yes, a lot of that had to do with the quarterback situation with DJ Mack and transition to Hayden Wolf, the passing numbers again, you know, for the second time when Hayden Wolf was taken over, did that in 2019. And then this past year, the passing output has um, increased significantly. And of course that helps with the production of the receivers, but to get a kid like him at 61170, a really dynamic athlete had power five offers. That's impressive. The second thing, before I get to the other name that jumped out to me, I definitely want your thoughts on this again, for Ricky Ronnie to be able to recruit Virginia heavily an area that we know they're going to compete with Marshall. They're going to compete with multiple power five schools, but that area in terms of a recruiting fertile being a fertile recruiting ground, excuse me, um, is one that definitely is picking up, right? And and it's an area that if you're ODU, you want to be able to tap into and at least get, you may not pick off the four-star kid all the time, you may not pick off the five-star kid, but you want to be able to solidly bring in those three-star recruits, especially from uh, a high school like Maury, which is a, a very well-renowned high school in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Amari and Granger, a six-foot, 170-pound athlete from Maury High School, Deep Creek, Ryan Nolan, and Chesapeake. You, know, you got another kid here, Mason Howard from Cosby. So it's nice to see that they're able to keep those kids in state. The other name that jumped out to me, Joe, and again, I found this one really interesting because I'm wondering if this is, is this a deaf situation? And I think we talked about it a little bit when he announced his intent to transfer. It's Brendan Clark, three-star quarterback coming out of high school. Uh, again, high three-star, low four-star. Was at Notre Dame, didn't see much action there at all. And now is heading to ODU. Definitely curious your thoughts on this. Like, we don't have to go too long. I'm sure we'll have plenty of time. I'm sure we'll have Coach Ronnie on the podcast. And I don't think he'll tip his hand as to his, his quarterback situation. If you famously remember the quote when we asked him at uh, virtual media days last year, he said that uh, I will reveal my starting quarterback about uh, to my team. We'll, we'll know well before, but the public will know about 45 minutes before kickoff. <laughs> and uh, famously, he did a uh, hold true to that. I think he announced DJ Mack maybe a day. Uh, before the game or so that he'd be the starter but again joe um big hayden wolf guy here i I just feel that you know he's kind of earned that role especially doing it in 2019 with the previous staff and now in 21 
And we'll also see what role DJ Mack, you know, we can't count him out. But I just thought it was curious uh, to bring in another quarterback. I mean, is that a byproduct of Ricky Ronnie and his offensive system looking for a guy that's a bit more mobile? That's what brought DJ Mack to ODU in relation to Hayden Wolf. But that name stuck out to me. So I think that'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think several things can be true in that regard. But yeah, they probably wanted someone who is has the mobility but more than that i think just no no coach is going to turn down depth at the quarterback position um i mean we saw you know dj matt kind of struggle to start the year last year and that's what led to hayden wolf taking over that qb1 role and hayden wolf played fantastic but you know when dj mack uh prior to dj mack taking the role rather he played really well at at ucf and we thought you know him uh, performing well at the gate was a certainty. So who knows? I, Hayden Wolf played fantastic this past year. I think given, you know, this, this off season's develop, I think he's going to get even better, but also he might not like crazier things have happened within football. And when you find yourself in those situations, it never hurts to have that depth. So that's kind of my take on it, you know, and just to add, like we've talked many times about the, um, profile of high school football in Virginia getting raised significantly in the last 15, 20 years. And the quality of player that, you know, continues to get recruited by schools like Old Dominion, like Marshall, like all those folks. And then obviously Pennsylvania has been there for a while. Maryland's getting better as well. You have Ohio right there. Old Dominion certainly does not have a shortage of decent prospects to pick from when building a roster there. Let's jump to Middle Tennessee State then and talk about the number 11 class in Conference USA. Uh, Eric, the thing that sticks out to me here is the wide receivers that they brought in. You got Jalen Ward out of Alabaster, Alabama, Thompson High School, uh, in the top 1,000 in terms of recruits. Three-star guy, 6'2", 190. Uh, But then the big one for me is Quaterius Tolbert coming over from Jones College in Ellisville, Mississippi. Also a three-star guy, the number 58 recruit in the nation, uh, number seven receiver in the nation, I believe, and number 14 recruit in the state of Mississippi. So we know that Middle Tennessee State, you know, has some questions about who their quarterback is going to be moving forward. But the fact that they are bringing so many weapons into the passing game it's got to be encouraging. Yeah, this is something that was kind of expected, right? Because when you look at Middle Tennessee's roster, Yusuf Ali, Jimmy Marshall, Jaron Pierce, Jaron Lane, CJ Wyndham, DJ England Chisel, I believe all five of those guys were seniors. Uh, I know for fact Jaron Pierce, Jimmy Marshall, uh, England Chisel were, I believe, uh, yeah, I believe, I think CJ Wyndham was as well. So I want to say like four of those five guys were seniors so you know just in terms of rebuilding the roster they're going to need to bring in some guys and the thing with Tolbert as you mentioned he's a Juco guy so he hopefully think he can come in step in immediately definitely be a, a player with some experience and then of course you get you know the kid Jalen Ward from Alabaster Alabama who's a three-star recruited younger guy who who jumps out to me and then also keep an eye on Devin Riles as well uh, out of Carver in Atlanta I believe he's a guy who played uh, both ways both offense and defense a little wide receiver DB what I found interesting was the running back situation because you had Martel Petway, you had Ar- Amir Rasul, um, Frank Pizent as well, um, but also, you know, and, and Shaitan Mobley. So you had, a, again, a slew of veteran guys who we'll have to see, you know, how many of them are going to uh, be able to return next year. I'm pretty sure that Petway, Shaitan Mobley has been playing CUSA, I think, since we were in middle school. <laughs> so, uh, and actually, I think Shaitan Mobley at the transfer portal. So I, I know that for a fact. 
Uh, Amir Rasul is graduating as well. So they again turn to the transfer market and bring in uh, Avaria Sparrow, another West Virginia running back, making his way to Murfreesboro. And Joe Irvin uh, from Kansas State makes way to Middle Tennessee. So those guys jump out as well. We'll have to see what the rest of this recruiting class shakes out for Rick Stockdale and company because they, they have had some guys hit the portal. You know, Greg Great, the standout safety, one of the top safeties in CUSA. He just hit the portal. Mike DeLeo hit the portal. They've had some guys, again, Shaitan Mobley, some other guys who have chosen to leave. So definitely going to see how they're going to be able to replenish this roster. But if there's one thing we know about Rick Stockstill, and and, and I, I think I say this and people think it it's a joke or a shot, but it's actually meant in a tearing way. So I hope Coach Stock uh, doesn't take this personal. If there's times where you don't think Rick Stockstill is going to get the six, he'll get the six. Like the years, yes, they're going to have their four and eights, but – it's a year like last year where you weren't expecting it. They're going to get to six, you know, so uh, don't just look at, you know, roster attrition and think, oh, man, middle Tennessee's in for a, a two and ten year because some way or another they'll get the six or seven wins. With Mike DeLeo in the portal uh, and Chase Cunningham, obviously recovering from a, a pretty significant knee injury towards the tail end of this past season. Um, obviously, you still have Nick Vadiato, but basically with that news, do you think that means we will see uh, Kyle Lowe out of Somerville, Tennessee, a uh, three-star recruit in this class uh, sooner rather than later for the Blue Raiders. I don't necessarily know if I would say sooner rather than later, Joe, just because you do have Nick Vadiato who, who stepped up. And that we've talked about him a lot on this podcast was certainly one that surprised me. You know, being here in South Florida, I've seen a, a fair amount of him on uh, the seven on seven circuit. I know Shane Marinelli talked about, you know, seeing him play as well. Did not expect that he'd be able to come in and, and step in immediately. I, I think that's why, you know, Nick Variados hit the portal. But um, no, I I think in my mind, just based on the way Variado closed the year, that that you have to um you have to uh, uh to kind of explore that route first. It certainly makes sense. It just, you know, <laughs> with the way that last year went with quarterbacks in general, blanket statement in conference USA, you know can never be too careful, I guess. Let's talk about Florida Atlantic. Finished towards the bottom in CUSA uh, last year in terms of the standings. Uh, this year in the 247 recruiting rankings, uh, last place class in CUSA. About 15 signees, including transfers. And for me, I think the, the transfers are the most significant part of this class. Uh, had a former four-star linebacker from FSU transfer into FAU with uh, Jillian LeGray, uh, 6'2", 225 guy. Uh, also another former four-star in uh, linebacker Morvin Joseph from Tennessee. Um, so two critical pieces there. But, you know, Eric, for me, uh, you know, I would love to get your thoughts on this class in, in total. And do you think it's cause for concern that this is the, the worst class in CUSA this year in, in such a critical year for Willie Taggart? I, I don't, Joe, only because they were ranked second in the transfer rankings. The bulk of this class, Joe, is is going to be in the transfer rankings, right? And the reason for that is because, well, it, it's, it's, two, it's twofold, Joe. One, I'll use FIU as an example. FIU had a ton of roster turnover over the past three years, right, where they had players that they signed, and players they brought in from the transfer portal, and for one reason or another, they left the program early. So as a result, and we'll talk about you know Mike McIntyre's club in a second, but they may not even reach the 85-man scholarship limit. Whereas FAU, Joe, has not had a lot of roster attrition. And the one thing that hasn't happened with the last year allowing the extra year for players, and this year allowing for teams to sign 32 players, 
they haven't expanded rosters. <laughs> so that's the reason why this class, in terms of high school, it, it might not be what one would expect and why you say it ranks 14th. That's not because they, they're struggling to recruit. It's just because they, they don't they didn't expand the roster limit, the, the, the scholarship limit, right? So they only had so many guys. Um, so hopefully, you know, that answers that concern. But in, in terms of looking at this class, in my mind, I'm taking it to the hometown, TBT, Tampa Bay Tech High School, cornerback Michael Boone. Again, I, I talked about this with Charles Huff coming into the Sunshine State. It's one thing to recruit players from Florida, and I'm not saying that you have to go to a premier program to be good. But in my mind, it's another when you're coming in and you're getting players from teams that are perennial state title contenders each year. Jay Sean Platt, a, five, a three-star receiver from Venice. Venice is a definitely an outstanding program. Boone, the cornerback, TBT went to state this year. Unfortunately, they got blown out. But uh, TBT, and, and they are not just for you know anyone who's listening, we're not talking about a, a well-off to do you know private school. We're talking about a neighborhood school in Tampa Bay Tech that went to state. So when you get a kid from that type of program, you know that you're probably just scratching the surface of his potential. You go up to Monroe, you get to Quincy, Florida, Wyatt Sullivan, an athlete. So they've signed some kids, you know, Jalen Wester from Palmetto uh, also coming in there with a Lejante Wester. So you get plenty of talent there. But when you look at the transfer classes I mentioned, they rank second in 247's transfer portal rankings. I think a kid you got to keep an eye on is Morvin Joseph, as you mentioned, in terms of, you know, getting talent at, at the linebacker spot with Jaleel McCray from Florida State. Morvin Joseph, almost a five-star kid coming out of high school, coming from Tennessee. He's someone to keep an eye on, as you mentioned uh, with McCray as well. And they also signed Jamie Petway. So clearly an emphasis on replacing some linebackers. They lost Chase Lassiter to the transport portal. So um, going to see what else they're able to do. But again, uh, I think overall when assessing this class for FAU, you really got to look at the kids they bring in transfer-wise. And secondly, the fact that um, they just don't have the room to bring in a ton of high school kids. It's just a matter of the roster not expanding. Yeah, that's a solid point. When you frame it like that, you know, can only have so many kids on the roster. Have you had a chance to watch any film on this Xavier Peters from Garden City Community College? Uh, number five edge rusher in the nation? Really? Okay. That's that's a pretty good – do the community college guys get factored into the, like, transfer rankings with most of these services? No. So the JUCO guys at Joe actually get factored into the your quote-unquote high school rankings, right? Whereas the transfer rankings are strictly out of uh, kids out of the portal, if that answers that question. I see. Have you gotten to watch any of Xavier Peters? I, I Of course, you know, being here in South Florida, I've had a chance to see a little bit of his film just based on – I know he was uh, primarily recruited by Raymond Woody, who, you know, anyone knows Raymond Woody and Willie Taggart, you know, that's his right-hand man right there. And, of course – uh, being good friends with Shane Marinelli. Uh, that's a, a third plug for Shane on this podcast. So that's enough. We will stop talking about him. Uh, <laughs> I've had a chance to uh, to see some of his, his film and definitely something that they could use a, a sizable outside lamp linebacker slash D end at six, four, two twenty five. For sure. Excited to see what he can do at the uh, FBS level. Um, before we move on, uh, I just think it's funny when you look at the pictures that get used for, these recruits on 247 and, and any other service, really. Mostly, it's usually just headshots of these guys at camps uh, looking serious, ready to go. Sometimes it's an action shot. Uh, and then you got Jalen Wester in his little pink hoodie with the hood. <laughs> with the hood <laughs> just happy as a clam. 
<laughs> yeah, if you if you haven't had a chance to look at that, just go Google his two four seven pick. It is uh, pretty funny to see. <laughs> uh, all right, and then uh, I got Charlotte, the number eight class in CUSA this year, uh, one ten nationally. You know, it's it's an interesting class here because it's a lot of kids that I really don't know what to make of, really, in terms of like you know when you look at what they were able to do at the high school level. Uh, a couple impact transfers coming in with linebacker Wayne Jones from Kansas State, uh, former three-star guy, and uh, was still a three-star guy. And then you got Amir Sadiq, who was a two-star coming out of high school, uh, went and played at uh, Central Michigan for a bit and was a three-star transfer recruit, also playing linebacker. So interested to see what he does there. And then with... You know, notable for me here, uh, no quarterbacks in this class, which I think is a little odd considering like Chris Reynolds is, is going to run out of eligibility eventually. Father time comes for us all. Um, so I feel like they need to plan for the future a little bit. But I think also with with this class, um, not not as deep as I think as you would like it to be if you're Charlotte. Yeah, no, it's so you can say, all right, you know, not necessarily as as deep as you would like. And again, the reason I hesitate, man, is recruiting now, especially I, I don't want to say now in terms of like a two, three, four year stretch. I just mean this specific year, Joe, is so interesting because of the fact that you can sign seven more. And with how many kids end up in the portal, it's going to be interesting to see what Will Healy's approach is. Again, we'll have him on the podcast certainly throughout the offseason to um kind of ask him about that a little bit. Right. Because you're talking about a program that, you know, they, they end up. A little bit short of their goals, of course, you know, making a bowl game this year. Do they take the approach of bringing in some impact guys and trying to immediately fix, you know, for example, a defense that struggled tremendously and saw, you know, the departure of defensive coordinator Brandon Cooper? Do, do you go that route and bring in some guys, you know, to the portal? Or do you try to keep, you know, bring in young talent through the uh, the high school ranks? A guy you talked about and is someone who I spotlighted when I talked about 10 impact transfers in CUSA this year is Amir Sadiq. You talk about him from Central Michigan. I really think, Joe, it's going to be interesting to see how he can make a transition. But Central Michigan's been a good program over the past few years, and Sadiq has been a big part of that. This past year had something like 30-something tackles. We had five sacks, but was a big factor in making plays behind the line of scrimmage with tackles for loss. That has been a very, very big thing um, that, quite frankly, the Niners need, you know, there's no two ways about it. The Niners need uh, help in terms of making plays on defense and guys who can make plays behind the line of scrimmage. So if he's able to step in immediately, you know, someone who played a little bit of D end, you know, with some other spots, that's going to be big time for the Niners. So that's a name I'm keeping my eye on. All solid points. We all know that uh, defense for Charlotte this past season needed some work, unfortunately. Uh, rounding out the East, let's talk about FIU, uh, number 12 class. Uh, in CUSA this year, you know, obviously being in Miami, got some good players coming in. Um, you got the number one uh, interior offensive lineman coming out of community college with uh, Diaby Hammond. Uh, you can correct me on the pronunciation there if I if I messed it up, Eric. But six three three thirty, that's a big boy, uh, a three star recruit. I believe the number twelve JUCO player just in general. Um, so definitely never hurts to bring in a guy like that to help your team get better. Um, but obviously, Eric, want to get your take on this as someone who, uh, you know, I, I would venture to say there's probably not very many people out there who know as much about FIU football as you do at this point. So uh, let you take it away. I would venture to say there's no 
one who knows it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't pass with the president. <laughs> that one there. Not How Joe. dare uh, you doubt my knowledge of <laughs> FIU football? <laughs> exactly, right? No, you, you mentioned, you hit the nail on the head right there with uh, uh, D.A.V. Hammond, right? So, again, he is, Joe, the fifth highest rated recruit in the history of FIU football in 21 signing classes in terms of the 247 era, the highest rated offensive lineman signee in program history, beating out Jose Mirabal, who um, was a high three-star recruit a couple of years ago, didn't end up working out. He hit the portal. So to get a guy like him, especially with the amount of offensive linemen that FIU lost with Miles Frazier, now at LSU, with Sione Finau, now at Purdue, with Dante Keys, now at Colorado State. Again, I, I Joe, I will never get tired of using this line because it's just, I think it's so, and as a former offensive lineman, you'll appreciate this. There are so many factors that go into offensive line play. I, I refuse to use the words sacks, sacks allowed in my writing now, Joe, because I just want to give you this. FIU quarterbacks were sacked 43 times last year. That was second to Southern Miss. Yet, three of the five starting offensive linemen are now playing in the Power Five. So, so you know what I mean? Like it, it ain't, it ain't always the offensive line's fault. Um, but with that being said, they do need to replace some offensive linemen. So that's where Hammond comes in. Uh, another guy who I think is really interesting is Mike Jackson, a kid out of Miami, Palmetto um, also played both ways, but the, the bulk of this class, I think for FIU, while they did get uh, some young guys, I talked about Jordan Dolan again from uh pro kick Australia, another one of the Aussie punters, a surprise kid was three-star recruit Amari Jones from a uh, Stark up in a, um, North Florida, a guy who's 6'3", 210, um, dual threat, played basketball, played multiple sports, someone who probably in a different, you know, year gets some more offers. But due to the fact that, you know, there's so many kids in the portal, um, his recruitment was kind of slow. But I think you got to look at the transfers, right? And specificity, Gunnar Holmberg, the former Duke starter. Duke started, excuse me, not Duke started. Holmberg started last year for Duke through a shade over 2,000 yards. So you expect him to come in immediately be a contender for the starting quarterback spot. And then a name to keep an eye on Joe is Donovan Manuel. He was a uh, all-conference player at East Tennessee State, racked up over 260 tackles in three seasons with the East Tennessee State Buccaneers. So definitely keep an eye on him. And they have a slew of other Power 5 transfers, uh, four kids from, uh, excuse me, three kids from from Syracuse overall, um, another kid from uh, Iowa, tight end Josiah Miaman. Uh, Jacoby Hewitt from Indiana, and then Willie Reed, who was uh, actually an all-conference player, Joe, at Central Michigan in 2020. Did not appear last year due to some off-the-field issues, but if those are straightened out, they're getting not only an all-conference, but he was the first-team all-MAC safety uh, in 2020. So certainly an impact player uh, making his way to Miami. I feel like you don't often see three guys from the same school then transfer to you know, the same school together in what happened here with the three Syracuse guys that are coming to FIU? Uh, any insight onto how that came to be? Yeah, pretty. To put it simply, South Florida kids, uh, South Florida kids who wanted to get back home. I mean, that's the easiest way I can put it. Um, you know, all, all of them are guys who are from this area, from South Florida, and <laughs> I don't want to throw shade at, at Syracuse, but um, it's a lot different in January in Syracuse, New York, than it is in uh, South Florida. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, Syracuse, let me put it this way. Syracuse, New York probably would have been a better Winter Olympics host than <laughs> Beijing. Get some real snow. Anyway, um, 
I think that wraps up uh, our CUSA East uh, recap for signing day. I uh, hope we were able to give you guys some good info about uh, some of the names that you're going to hear a lot in this division over the next couple of years. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That really helps the show grow. Uh, very appreciative of the support you all give us. Uh, and if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore. And then, of course, at Underdog Dynasty for more G5 football content all the time we never ever stop going hard in the paint is that what the kids say eric i don't even know anymore i've i'm old but i i'm not old but i feel old based on the things i choose to do with my life <laughs> yeah uh we'll, we'll leave that that right at least you're you know going hard in the paint isn't bad but you weren't brian kelly you know dancing behind the kid only to see him go to alabama <laughs> oh man i'm i'm happy with that i'm i'm happy to live in that middle ground all right uh we'll talk to you soon everybody happy football watching 